Good evening and welcome to Starfest, the St. Albert Readers Festival. I'm Peter Midgley, the festival director and your host for the evening. And once more, on behalf of Starfest, thank you for joining us. Now, before we introduce our guests for the evening, we have to acknowledge, of course, that we are broadcasting from Treaty 6 territory, traditional lands of First Nations and Métis people. And uh, beyond that, I want to remind you that you can purchase tonight's books from the local independent bookstores in Edmonton, Glass Bookshop and Audrey's Books. We have posted links in the comments section, so please follow the links, buy the books and get the recipes. Um, then after the introductions, which will follow this, there will be a discussion of around 40 minutes and many other shenanigans as well, we hope. And then after that, there'll be a short Q&A session. We do invite you to please post your questions in the comments feature. Remember, if you're on YouTube, please log in before you can comment. And um, I will collect your comments and convey them to our guests at the end of the evening. Now, tonight, for those of you who haven't been reading the bulletins. Uh, Karma Brown, our featured author, and Naramata, BC-based food writer and critic, Jennifer Cockrell-King, have invited you into their kitchens where they will treat us to home-baked muffins, lavender muffins, I would have to be correct there, and a conversation about Karma's latest book, Recipe for a Perfect Wife. And so, Jen, take it away. Okay. Well, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us in this new and exciting format where you get to be beamed into our kitchens. And hi, Karma. Hi, Jen. Nice to see you. Oh, nice cheers. To see you yes. too. Cheers. Um, so we're just really happy that everybody's here. I was I was thrilled to be asked to um, be a part of this event. I love Karma's new book. I'm going to introduce Karma. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to make some muffins. We invite you all to post your questions and we will answer them as best we can. It's, it's really Karma's show. But um, for those of you who are not familiar with Karma Brown, she is an award-winning journalist, best-selling author of five novels, um, which is a number one Globe and uh, Mail bestseller, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, and the international bestsellers of Come Away With Me, which was a Globe and Mail top 150 book of 2015, The Choices We Make, in this moment and the life Lucy knew. And in addition to her novels, Brown's writing has appeared in publications such as Self, Red Book, Canadian Living, Today's Parent, and Chatelaine. And she's currently working on her first nonfiction project, The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life, which I will be keen to know about as well. That's gonna be published by HarperCollins at the end of this year. So. She's a very busy woman. Um, she lives in Toronto. She's coming to us from Toronto and she lives there with her husband, daughter and their Labradoodle named Fred. <laughs> so yeah. has Fred made any um, appearances in your online live streaming events? He has. And sometimes <laughs> it's just through his barking because he's very, he's the sweetest Muppet looking dog, Labradoodle, but he gets very upset with people right. walking by the house. So any sound he <laughs> freaks out. So there have been a few times. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll keep an ear out for him. Well, yes. <laughs> so I just want to say, I love this book. I am, I'm a food writer. 
I read a lot of nonfiction. I don't read enough novels and I read a lot about food. So it was such a pleasure to read about, to read a novel that really is centered around food. And it's a story of two women, essentially. They're in two different generations. And Alice Hale, you have two protagonists, really. She's a 29-year-old, 30-year-old woman. She recently left her job in Manhattan as a PR agent. She's buying a house in the suburbs with her husband, Nate. And then we also have another woman in this novel, Nellie. And uh, she is a 1950s housewife, for lack of a better term. And um, they never meet, but they are connected because one day in the base, so Alice and Nate are buying this house in the suburbs. Alice is not super excited about being, yes. uh, making the reservations about moving to, from the city to the suburb. Right? Yeah. Right. And then she finds, is she stumbling around in the basement of this new house that they bought? They're going to renovate it. And she comes across this box, these boxes of, of, magazines from the 1950s the ladies home journals and a cook and a book in particular um and they become connected as alice starts reading this book and cooking and starting to unravel some of the the secrets in nelly's life there's a, there's a mystery there are mysteries at the heart of this novel so that's part of the page turner aspect um so I guess what maybe I'll start with the fact that you know what what you've done is really fun. Every chapter starts with a different. Uh, so Alice's chapters start with these kind of cringeworthy statements that you've pulled from uh, manuals on how to be a woman in 1910 and how to be a wife in 1940. Yeah. Were those real? Like they're terrible. <laughs> Yeah, they are. And they are real. Um, I found all sorts of different tips and pieces of advice. And some of them were in old vintage cookbooks that I own that were, you know, along with the recipes, there are also all these ways for housewives to, you know, relax during their day for the five minutes if they're feeling tired and how they should be responding to their husband when he arrives home. And so there were just an endless uh amount of advice really for, for women at that time and even before then about how to be a perfect housewife, how to be a perfect woman. Um, and, you know, they're shocking to look at now and we laugh it off, but you know, it, this was real advice that was given and was followed during that time. So I wanted to start each of the contemporary chapters with this glimpse into the past, what it was like to be a woman in the past. And then I countered that with the recipe in the Nellie's chapters, who is our 1950s housewife. Um, some very, you know, interesting recipes came out of the 1950s. So I took a few of those and uh, every one of her chapters starts with an actual recipe. Right. And speaking of recipes, um, we should probably start mixing yeah. muffins because chapter 34, so... Every chapter that Nellie uh, Murdoch is in, and she's the 50s woman, has one of these recipes. Some of them are kind of, I mean, there's a lot of god-awful food that was made in yeah. the 1950s. I thought of the worst <laughs> things, like the, 
the jello molds that have tuna and lemon jello mixed together in a fancy mold. I mean, I left some of those out. Yeah, thank, thank you. Yeah, You're but welcome. the baked Alaska, um, yeah. you know, and and these were recipes. Well, we'll we can talk about that in a minute, but yeah, these were recipes that were born out of necessity that, you know, women were trying to economize and they were being very creative about. But tonight we're baking muffins. Yes, we are. <laughs> you know, this is what we do now in the pandemic. We, we, we're at home and we're baking. So we're making lemon lavender muffins from um, page 247, chapter 34, Nelly. And we're going to see how we do. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah. And uh, some of, you know, I get asked a lot. I, I get a lot of feedback about these recipes, um, which is great. It's always fun to see what people are making and, and how much fun they've had, like trying the baked Alaska. A lot of book clubs will do themed evenings. So it's fun to see that. Um, the I've tried a lot of the recipes in here and uh, not all of them, but a lot of them. But, you know, they're, they're recipes from a long time ago. And so some of the ingredients and the measurements, I, or our ovens are different now. Everything can be just a little off. So this is really a bit of an experiment on camera. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, there's no guarantee. You've started mixing, so I should probably do the same. I'm going to beat my eggs right, here. Keep, keep talking. <laughs> There's no guarantee that any of this will work, and that's why we love it. It's part of the live performance that is both a literary event and a cooking event. Absolutely. Um, and I will say yeah. that this, this particular recipe, um, you know, it's a recipe that Nellie made with her beloved mother a lot. And it was the sort of recipe that was made for other women when they were going through difficult times or maybe just going through a new experience like having a baby so or if someone was ill they would take these muffins and it has a lot of nostalgia for her in the book um i personally i love lavender in my soap mm -hmm. i do not love it in my muffins so i am going to put a little bit in but right. not as much as Nellie calls for. And I feel like Nellie would be okay with that because, you know, she wants everyone to just do what they need to do. Yes. Well, and I have forgotten my melted butter in the microwave. So I am going to do the no-no of stepping off screen. It's fine. I have my right back because I am in my, I'm literally in my kitchen in Naramata and it's right here. I will keep talking then while you go and do that. Um, you know, the recipes... One of the reasons I wanted to put the recipes in the book, and I did it this way, is because I've always really enjoyed this idea of uh, the legacy of cooking and of recipes and, and those being passed down through generations. You know, a lot of times, like in my mom's generation, in the she received a cookbook when she got married. And this was a very common thing that women would get a cookbook to prepare them for the housewife role that they were entering. Mm -hmm. So I have all these great vintage cookbooks that have notations on the margins. And that really was what started me on this idea, um, this desire to write this book. I really wanted to write a book that's centered around a cookbook and a vintage cookbook and what secrets existed in there for the woman in the 1950s, but also what power and learning came from that legacy from Nellie and her cookbook that could then be transported to Alice in the modern day. 
So, and I got to spend a lot of time looking at recipes. Well, that's what I find interesting. So the, the title is provocative recipe for a perfect wife. Yeah. Right. So yeah. the book, the book plays with the stereotypes of the perfect wife. It, it plays with the, the generational stereotypes of the 1950s woman. Yeah. Um, what, what, what was the spark that, that got you going? Cause I read that this book has actually been kind of in your mind circling around for a couple of years. Is that true? It, yeah. I, I spent five years writing it. I mean, I had written my debut. Um, it was published in 2015 and it was part of a two book deal with my publisher. I'm just going to mix my dry ingredients. Yes. Now. Okay. I'm, I'm going to show everyone how, how things are going in the mixing bowl here. Oh, you're, you're, me i'm doing wet and dry so it's okay We're okay well um, i had a little i did a little bit of prep here but it is it's actually a beautiful smelling uh, muffin dough and little flecks of culinary lavender are marvelous right um, so yeah, so i i'm just going to keep mixing and talking jen mix and talk uh, mix and talk <laughs> Uh, We're just the, two women just cooking in our kitchens with our kitchens, but watching not us. Yeah. We're not 1950s housewives. I'm not wearing no. an apron for one thing, which is very dangerous, actually. I usually cook with an apron, but not tonight. I'm, I'm risking We're it both all. elegantly dressed in our evening black. I, <laughs> I rarely wear a tuxedo jacket to cook, but for you, Karma? I appreciate of course. it. Of course. All right, so the book the reason I wanted to do it and I just had this idea of this woman I've always been interested in the, the 50s I love writing about marriage and just all the nuances that exist for women within those relationships and so I had this vision of this woman in the 50s sitting in her garden smoking her cigarettes contemplating what she was making for dinner for when her husband was coming home and pulling out her beloved uh, recipe book, you know, the one that she was handed down from her mother and that just gave her a lot of um, comfort, but also a voice because, you know, back then women were expected to keep the home well and to uh, be there to take care of their husbands, take care of the children, to take care of all the cooking. So in a lot of ways, the creativity that they could put into their recipes, into the food that they put on the table was one way they could have a voice when they really didn't have uh, much of a voice in other aspects of life. So I just had this very clear image of Nellie and uh, this cookbook and what secrets, you know, on the outside, she was this quintessential housewife, perfect looking wife, but what did her life actually look like behind closed doors? And as yeah. soon as I started thinking about that, she kind of just came to me pretty, Pretty well. I'm getting my lemon zest. There's Excellent. lemon zest here. It's zest from one lemon. I did not take any skin off my knuckles. Oh, good. Want to know? Um, no yeah. uh, additional ingredients. Perfect. Nellie was very clear for me, but I wanted. Uh, I could have written it just in the 1950s. Um, I could have written her whole story. Oh my gosh, you're so far ahead of me. Anyway, fine. You're doing all the work. I'm just, you know, being the, being. I'm very close. I'm very perfect. close. I have to just put it into the actual muffin tins now. But I really liked the idea of writing a dual narrative story. And I think it, I was interested 
in exploring the idea of, of wife then and wife now and the expectations one moment mm -hmm. here we go of that were placed on women you know then but also now and really have we come as far as we think that we have in all these different aspects of life and so i knew it couldn't just be nelly's story and that's where alice came from right yeah. so alice is she's struggling with her role um transitioning from her identity as um somebody who has a career who lives in an urban space yes. who has a lot of the modern trapping or the trappings of sort of that urban modern well she's she her career is incredibly important to her she's 29 you know she's living in manhattan uh feels she's really on her way up she works really hard and um for her to end up then in the suburbs without a job and i won't explain what happened there but she does find herself no longer with her work and no mm -hmm. longer with an income and so that really sets an interesting power dynamic up between her and nate her husband because he has a different he's very supportive it appears at least in the beginning and but he has a clear idea of what their life should look like and this is then a perfect opportunity for her to have a child for them to start their family she can you know renovate this old house they've moved into that hasn't been touched since maybe the like 60s 70s um but that's not the life that she wanted mm -hmm. and she doesn't know how to fix it really yeah yeah and it's it's um it's a dilemma that many of us struggle with you know how do we how do we feel that we're self-actualized when we have these preconceived notions that there's a there's a certain um that domestic arts are not as valued as well like that I found myself reading this and having all these judgmental opinions that I was not happy that I was having. These are just little voices in my head. And then what I really liked in your book is how you know that this is how we're thinking about these women. And yeah. you introduce these subtle little lines of, well, maybe not everything is as it seems. So, yes. you know, Maybe Alice has certain elements to her identity that she can explore. And also Nellie is not quite the, like she goes to the Tupperware party. She, she bakes the yeah. cookies. Yeah. She, she plays her part because what else does she do at that time? Right. It's the expectation was very, um, I mean, it, it was very black and white really. Now that didn't mean that there weren't all these women who were living all these shades of gray, mm -hmm. wanting different lives than maybe the one they had, but the opportunity to, to explore that and the opportunity to do something different outside of the house was just was not there like it is now. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, what's interesting about the housewife and the, or the, you know, the stay-at-home mom of even the present day is that, I have had conversations where people who are home with their kids and aren't playing that sort of housewife role um, are frustrated 
by this impression that 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 I'm putting that down or the book is putting down that choice. And, you know, my point is always that it, feminism for me is really about choice. And so if that is the choice that you make as a woman to be home with your kids for a time, for the whole time, whatever it is, then that's a very feminist choice. That's an empowering choice because you're making the choice. I see to show my muffins now. Those look beautiful. Don't, don't they look see? nice? There's a few little, you know, splotches here and there, but are we supposed to put them in the oven now, Jen? I put mine in the oven already. You did. Okay, yeah. well, just, I will be back in two seconds. <laughs> Okay, well, for those of you watching our little bake-along here, um, the lemon, lemon lavender muffins is two cups of flour, three teaspoons baking powder, one teaspoon baking soda, half a teaspoon salt, two beaten eggs, one cup of sweet milk. Now, this was interesting because going through older vintage recipes, we have to con uh, contend with some different um, terminology. So... Sweet milk is actually homogenized milk, whole milk, as opposed to buttermilk. So, and and definitely, it is not. There are a number of recipes that call for sweet milk because that was just what they called homogenized milk in those days. But it is not sweetened condensed milk. If anyone tries to make the recipes, don't use sweetened condensed milk because it you will not be able to eat it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, three tablespoons honey and then some melted butter, zest from a lemon, and two teaspoons lavender buds. And I will just let people know a little bit of a self-congratulatory gardening going on here. I have uh, live out the Okanagan, and there's my lavender. Jen sent me some ahead of time because I, as much as in the book, there's a lot of gardening, and Nellie, along with being this beautiful cook and baker and she loves her garden and is known throughout her neighborhood for her flowers and her plants i do not have those skills so i think i have some mint out there somewhere which is now dead because it's cold here but so jen's kindly sent me this beautiful lavender which is purple and pretty and yes smells lovely well, and lavender is an interesting culinary herb because um, too much and it becomes very distasteful. So the right amount. Um, and and there's an interesting culinary herb component to this book, which, you know, the gardeners. <laughs> I'm a gardener and a cook. This was right in my wheelhouse. I love this. I had to do quite a lot of research, actually, not just on the historical parts, because I really wanted to get the texture and the feel of the 50s for this book, uh, but also like through the food and through the, the fashion and through mm -hmm. just society, the expectations, as I mentioned, but um, also the gardening and... I mean, I had to do a lot of different searches and I can't give anything away about about the book and about how the garden plays into that. But there was a, there was quite a few interesting searches in my Google bar. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I know people are interested in the writing process. So um, can you give us a little hint about the writing process for this book, like how you You've got two different protagonists. Did you write them 
Did you write Alice all at once and then Nellie and then chopped it up and folded it in like a deck of cards or how did that go? Yeah, I didn't. I actually wrote it consecutively. So oh. I would write a Nellie chapter and then an Alice chapter and then a Nellie chapter and an Alice chapter. I think I'm writing another dual narrative now that is set in a contemporary story, but also in the 1970s. And in that case, I'm writing them I'm writing the entire contemporary storyline and then I'm going to do the seventies. The reason I did it differently for recipe, uh, one, it's just, it's just how it happened. I started writing and I just was naturally switching back and forth between these women, but because they share this cookbook. And so there are links within the chapters and between the chapters and the thought of writing them, their own stories separately and then trying to weave them together, which is what a lot of authors will do when they're writing a dual narrative. I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. So mm -hmm. the tricky part about that is that I was jumping from 2018. Is it 18? Yes, I think it's 18. 2018, yeah. Um, it's hard when you're writing multiple books and you're like, <laughs> what year am I in? It's That's never right. 20. I had 2020 for my next book, but I was like, we cannot do 2020. 2020 needs to just go. Your question is what book am I in right now? <laughs> yeah. So I had, you know, for me, like with the 2018 and the 1950s, the different details of the, of the decades and going like, okay, then I have to get myself back into the historical frame of mind and the language and so that was probably more challenging than if I had tried to just stick with one and do the other. Um, but I also, first drafts are tricky for me and I find them, I sort of compare it to like a first date. I, I feel like when I get to revision, I'm in that Netflix and chill stage of relationship, which is what I prefer. Uh, so, you know, the first date where you're trying to make a good impression and learn about this other person, like the first draft feels like that. And so I typically want to just get through it as quickly as I can. So right. if I'm only writing one character, there is the fear that I'm not going to get that other character. <laughs> She'll just disappear on me. So I kept them close as I was writing, but I did write it over like four years or so because I was writing it secretly in between other books I had on contract. So it was like my secret book. I love it. Well, and it's, I mean, it must have been fun and alarming. I'm just going to read a couple of these sure. bits and pieces that, um, you know, at the beginning of each of each chapter, but also when you talk about recipe or the cookbook for the modern housewife and the ladies home journal, there's, there are ads in these magazines that say, don't worry, honey, at least you didn't burn the beer. You know, like the condescension and the, um, for both men and women, actually, um, mm -hmm. I, I find that those, those speak both to women and to men. Um, men are, I actually was interested, did you get into the mindset of the men here? Because the men, they're not the main characters, but they play a big role in the motivation. And um, let's just say Nellie's husband turns out to be a very bad choice for her. Um, Nate, Alice's husband, he is supportive, but um, you really did speak to the female point of view. Were you tempted to actually play up the, the 1950s 
man who was really not in touch with his emotions and had inappropriate reactions to a lot of events in his life. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't because like, like for me, the story was about these women and the men were uh, merely there it, to allow the women to have their experiences and to go through that that character arc that they needed to move through. Um, you know, they they play an important role in the story. And Richard, who's Nellie's husband, is definitely someone who, by the end of the book, you have a very clear idea of who he is and, uh, you know, sort of what's happened there. But Nate was a little more subtle. And I, you know, I think that this is this is true of what uh, relationships between men and women and the whole idea of feminism and men being allies and allies and all of that existing now is a bit, it can be a bit subtle. And so for me with Nate, he is supportive, but he's also manipulative. And it's just not quite in the black and white obvious ways from the men that we would have seen maybe in the 50s, where roles were very clearly laid out. Yeah. So, you know, that was, um, yeah, so I didn't, I spent time focused on them only as much as I needed to in order to help make the women's stories uh, feel true to life and, and give them what they needed for, for the book. Right. Well, you actually start the book with the epigraph, art is a hard mistress and there is no art quite so hard as that of being a wife. And this comes from a book called Don't for wives. Yes. Like it's it's instructive. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And then we have another book from about the same era called Modern Woman and How to Manage Her, written by Walter Gallatin. A modern woman who is of the contentious type is often amenable to love and reason if she will only listen quietly, a process that is painful to her you may firmly, rationally, and kindly convince her that she is not always in the right. I yeah. mean, what, what do you do with these types of stereotypes? How do you, and so I, I, love, I love what you did with the 1950s women. And maybe tell us a little bit about that era, your research of that era of, of women and, and what she was contending with. Yeah, well, it was such an interesting, I mean, there was a lot I didn't know about what was going on at that time. And, you know, I had a lot of that surface view of what the 1950s were like, but I didn't understand some of what had happened to put women back into the kitchen um, in the 50s. And really it was the war because the men had gone off to war and the women had taken the jobs that the men had held while the men were at war. So women were doing, you know, men's work. Uh, and then the war ended, the men came home and the women went back into the kitchen and there was the baby boom and they became, you know, mothers and housewives. And that was their most important role that they could, they could hold and have. But in a lot of the book clubs and events I've done, I've spoken to a lot of women who are in their seventies and eighties. Um, who really, you know, they had aspirations at that time. They wanted mm -hmm. to do more than, than cook recipes out of their cookbooks. As much as they loved being with their children and they loved a lot of aspects of their life, they were missing that opportunity to do something more. And it, 
is always, and I find some of these women in their 70s and 80s when I speak to them, they are the most feminist uh, of all the ages who I've spoken to about this book because they yeah. have had a lot of distance from that time and the opportunity to reflect. They have their own daughters, sons, granddaughters who they hope will have, you know, even more opportunity going forward. Like, let's get to equal pay. You know, we still have a long way to go, but I just, the, the, in the web of, of what was going on for women back then and how it has shifted the way that we are now. Um, it's just so, it was so fascinating because every time I would look at one of these women with their apron in their kitchen, waiting for their husband mm -hmm. to get home with the perfectly mixed drink, I kept thinking like, okay, what does she want to do? You know, if you could say you can go and do anything, what do you want to do? And probably there would have been something else, you know, that she didn't get to do. It's that really. Mm -hmm. Um, but they did find a way. They found a way to create community and to create yes. a knowledge network. And that was, you know, this yes. hand-me-down knowledge that um, they had to be sneaky about it. They had to yeah. hide it in, you know, couch it in domestic domestic. Oh, yeah. earth, but oh, There were a lot of women doing a lot of powerful, interesting things. They just weren't always doing it <laughs> in the open. Right. But, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Let, I'm going to check on my muffins. I still have a few minutes. I'll hold okay. up this book. You check. Okay. Yes. This Perfect. is the book that was sort of the inspiration for Recipe for a Perfect Wife. And this is really what I based Nellie's cookbook off of. Um, if people can see it, it's the Purity Flower Cookbook. As you can see, my copy is, I mean, it is literally, I should get it rebound, but I don't want to. <laughs> So I have an elastic that holds it together, but it just, all this, this blotches and, and like if I just open it and you can sort of see it's just wow. all that beautiful ageness in this book. And so this was from the forties. It's a Canadian cookbook put out by the Purity Flower Company. And that was really what um, started the whole thing. That was the book that, that I just pictured Nellie using. And so it's sort of special to actually have it. And then, and I also have this Betty Crocker. This is the one I grew up with. My mom cooked out of this all the time. Yeah. So a lot of people will recognize this one. It's the classic. This one also has a lot of interesting tips for housewives. Um, if you're feeling tired or, you know, like wear comfortable clothes and properly fitted shoes while working around the house. <laughs> And use a dust mop and a long-handled dust pan. Use self-ringing mops so you're not stooping. So there are all these, you know, great tips when you're <laughs> doing your housework to really, yeah. you know, not feel fatigued. I love going through uh, used bookstores, and I will always try to find the oldest copy of The Joy of Cooking that I can find. Oh, yeah. And through the different editions, you see the social attitudes towards women and cooking and and just relationship advice like there is some genuinely terrible relationship advice going around in like 1910 1913 all the way through 1950 you know how to trick your how to trick your husband into thinking he's eating different foods all the time when actually it's the same, you know, turkey loaf five well, ways. Is, I mean, this is what we do with our children. Right. 
So that, that applies to kids where you're like, I mean, I think I hid vegetables in every muffin, cake, smoothie, popsicle. I still do it. It's like a habit now where I put pumpkin into my mac and cheese because uh, why not a little extra, have a little extra veggie. Right. Um, but yes, there is that mentality. However, I do find it useful with children. So maybe it's also right. useful sometimes with husbands or wives who won't eat. Well, it, it just goes to, sh yeah, it just goes to show that there was, there was not an equal power dynamic. Um, you know, men were supposed to be the, and, and I really feel badly for men in those positions because they weren't equipped to know everything, to be the deciders on everything. And, and women were supposed to blindly obey and yet also sneakily trick them into, you know, giving them a little bit of extra money for this and that, and then buying meat that was, you know, almost rotten and then dressing it up, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you had to be, you had to have some of those tricks, I think, in order to um, make the dollar stretch or in the case like with Nellie, where she's trying to pocket some of the money for other reasons, for her own security and safety, because women didn't have access to their own money mm -hmm. in most cases back then. So, you know, right. that, that changes money is a really powerful thing within a relationship. And, and that was one of the things that, um, especially with Nate and Alice, you know, I, I wanted to look at that with that relationship because she had gone from being someone who was, had a great job and had an income and was contributing. And then when she lost that, she really did feel like she sort of lost her right to have a say um, in her relationship as much because she wasn't contributing. So she needed to just handle this side of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's, you know, the whole thing about whether women have come as far as they think they have or we think they have, um, you know, can women have it all, the whole lean in and you can have a family and a great relationship and a career. And, you know, Oprah said, well, you can have it all, but not all at once. Not all at once. <laughs> She's yeah. right. She's right. I mean, as someone who has a career and has a child and has a relationship and all those things matter a lot to me, it is a constant balancing act and I can't do everything well all the time. Right. It, you can't go 100 percent on every on everything all the time. Um, so, yeah, it was a you know, it was an interesting book for me to write for my own my own situation too to really take a look at how I felt about women and as you said some of those ideas we have even within our own gender about housewives or stay-at-home moms or work you know work out of the house moms or people mm -hmm. who don't have children you know there's just a lot of um there's a lot going on yeah exactly these topics i know and um I'm I'm curious to know about your your next project and and actually but before we get on to that I, I just need to check my muffins, Jen. I know, but I have to show this. Oh, the handwritten scribbler with the pasted jelly mold amazing. salad on it. I That's mean, amazing. the gems that are in here. Corn Those jelly salads were huge. I think they may be coming back. Actually, I hate to say it, but. Well, food you know what? Why not? Pickle, you know, and I think I, 
The pandemic has been interesting, actually, and I was thinking about this with, with your book because how aptly timed we're all at home becoming these domestic gods and goddesses. But the difference now is we have Instagram. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So the, the, there was, when I was reading parts of the, um, the chapters where Nellie and her gang are getting together and there's that sort of, there, there's that pecking order in the female sort of um, neighborhood who makes the best this and who makes the best yeah. that. It exists today. We just have social media to be a little, you know, self-congratulatory, these humble brags like, oh, I just, you know, here's my side lit sourdough loaf that, you know, <laughs> took me nine days to make. I've raised it from a child and, and yeah. I know. Sourdough, don't even get me started. I have a good friend who's been trying to get me to take some of her starter to make sourdough over the pandemic. And I love to bake, but I was like, sourdough is not my thing. You, you can kill it. You can kill your starter and it just people name it. And then I thought, I don't need that level of responsibility. No. If I have a bad batch of muffins, I just toss them and start exactly. over. We and struggle enough. We don't need to. I don't adopt. need to be feeding a starter along with myself, my family. Yeah. 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 Nobody has time for that. Well, um, some people do. And hey, if that's your thing, then that's, that's true. awesome. That is it's not my thing. It's just not my thing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I, so this is a cooking tip that a very, so I, I'm, I'm friends with a, a bunch of chefs and I pick up these little tips and I will pass this along to you. Uh, one of my friends, he is a pastry chef. And at one point he was the pastry chef at the Empress Hotel, the Fairmont. So kind of knows what he's doing. He never would set a timer for his baking. He said, you train yourself to always know when your baking is ready by the smell. So I I can smell it. I can I know. have and five seconds to go. Exactly. So here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna not burn myself. Oh now there's no one. I'll stay here on okay. How's it going? Well I think it's gonna go well. I've got my my oven mitt on and you have your oven mitt as well. I do. But now there's no one here on screen. It's fine. I can, you know what? They're pretty good. They're not totally even. Those look lovely. Hang on. We're going to have to Instagram these. I mean, come on. Maybe. And they're side lit here. Carmen has much better lighting. I'm, you know, I'm going to work on my lighting. I'll try to show my, there we go. They're very golden brown on top. Beautiful. Of course. Okay. So yours turned out. Okay. Let's get into the granular analysis of these muffins because yours turned out very smooth on top. Mine are quite lumpy, chunky. You, do you know what probably happened though? Um, I was talking and stirring with probably a little too much aggression. And so right. <laughs> there's a good chance that I stirred mine so smooth that they had no chance to be right. textured on top. I don't know. Well, they look beautiful. Um, I guess now I do bake a lot of muffins, Jen. It's kind of like my thing. So that's true. You are a mom. I am not. So you that probably looks good to me. Sorry? That looks pretty good. This one's a little a little uh full. I have like these little gold Ooh. 
Very nicely done. A little disco, a little 1970. It's a little 19, or just, it's just a little bling. Little solid gold dancer there. Yeah. Where, it's so hot though. Are we supposed to be trying to take a bite of this? I think that could be a live television mistake. <laughs> I'm just going to smell them. They smell good. They really do. They really do. So, now, so the lavender is interesting because lemon and lavender... You just have to be very delicate uh, with it. You have to be delicate. I will say, I'm not, a, as I mentioned, I'm not a huge lavender fan in in my food. Right. Um, I love lemon, but lavender I prefer in bath products. Oh, I have seen that one. That That's, that's a, great. a nice one. Sugar and spice okay. and every and, and oh. all nice things. It doesn't even rhyme. They don't even know the rhyme. <laughs> I know I have all these great books, the GWG household handbook, recipes, home information, handy tables, breeding records, and clothing catalog. So you can oh, keep tracking your livestock breeding records. Oh, your livestock. Yes, I have these lovely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not your personal cards. breeding records. <laughs> That's your doctor's job. <laughs> yeah, no. These are, um, as you can see by the lovely rest or the pictures on the front, Nothing looks super appetizing, to be honest. No. This this is their best photography. From yeah, we have come a long, we have come a very long way in food styling. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fun to be had looking at vintage uh, food styling. Yeah. And clearly, somebody was working out some anxiety or some anger issues <laughs> or. Well, even, I mean, this is supposed to be um, strawberry shortcake. Oh, can right. you imagine putting that? So this made the front cover of this cookbook. But I mean, can you imagine putting that on Instagram now? People would be like, ooh, so close. It would be retro. People would be like, oh, cool. Retro vibe that you've done yeah. there. You must have spent all day. I know. Anyway, you know, I, I have always loved... Uh, writing about food and I usually try to put something in every one of my novels because I just I love the idea of food being part of the story so I mm. felt very lucky with this book that I had the chance to put it in you know the whole book it was just such a joy such a joy to write and despite the fact that some of the recipes are a bit scary like I said I left a lot of the really bad ones out but um well and we did we did pick the ones that we actually wanted to eat now, those muffins, I, I did tell you, they are not sweet. And if right. you've ever baked, you'll know that three tablespoons of honey for an entire batch right. is not. So they're more of a... You can load them up with jam, though. You could. You could. Or like a, a lemon honey. Mm-hmm. You know? But they have an interesting flavor. Mm-hmm. So personally, in my house, we add a little bit of sugar mm -hmm. and a little less lavender. It's set in uh, 2019 for the mm -hmm. modern day character and the 1970s, 1975 for my historical character. And it's set in the woods um, in an isolated location. It is, of course, there's more feminism to be had in this book. So it's more about the second wave of feminism and looking at ambition this okay. time uh, within relationships. So I, it's fun. I, I'm sort of just starting it. And uh, it's always a bit of a weird time in a book and you don't talk too much about it because 
there is sort of a magic thing about trying to get it on the page. Right. Uh, but I do have my nonfiction coming out in um, December. So okay. soon. Are you, are you allowed to talk about that? Yeah, that one is called The 4% Fix. Um, right. And how an hour a day can change your life. And really it started from my 5 a.m. writing habit, which I've been doing. I've written all my books like that. I get up every day three three hours from now. I know, really. (laughs) I get really early to write and have done that for years. And I find that, you know, it's quiet. I can be really productive. Um, You know, that's how I wrote my debut because I didn't always want to be an author. So I just had this idea. I was a journalist and I thought maybe I'll try writing a book. And that was when I dedicated time to doing that. And so it's about investing in yourself by by protecting your time. That's essentially what the book is about. So if there's always been something you've wanted to do but didn't think that you'd have the time for, this book allows you to see how maybe that's possible. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm losing my light here. Karma is so it's much okay. more well prepared, but I'm okay. I'm sort of underlit side lit here. Um, <laughs> But, um, but no, um, the book is great. And, and I just, I kept chuckling to myself when I was reading this because I grew up with the best of bridge here in the West and a lot of Westerners will recognize that. And, you know, these sort of recipes that you roll your eye at, eyes at Christmas morning wife saver, like what terrible things are going to happen if you don't have this casserole done? I know the night before, right? Yeah. And, and so we still, we like to think that, I mean, I was, I was chuckling it and I was sort of groaning at some of the gender roles and some of the language that was used that is used in these manuals towards women and men. And then I realized, well, we still have these little vestiges that, uh, you know, we expect. And, and so it was it was a fun book to read from a food point of view as well because the language that we use around food is still very gendered as well and it can be exclusive um, to to you know people who are not who who don't fit into that stereotypical yes. you know gender role that we yeah. like to play. So, um, do we have any questions from the the gallery, Peter? Not too many. So if you want to have a chance to post your questions, all of you viewers, I can see there are quite a few of you there. So if you have some questions, post Don't them. be shy. Don't I want to know what some of your favorite uh, vintage recipes are as well out there in viewer land. There mm-hmm. you go. Favorite vintage recipes. Well, I can tell you that I, I'm a firm believer that other than perhaps a head cheese, nothing, no other food <laughs> should be encased in gelatin. Oh, head cheese. I'm not yeah. sure that could be encased in gelatin or anyone should it, eat it, that. It, but... it, yeah, that's a different, that's a different discussion. But, but it is. generally, yeah. Uh, but yes, let's hear what some people have to say. And then the one question that I do have right here is, are any of the, particularly your female characters, based on significant women role models in your own life? Yeah, well, Nellie actually, um, she is reminiscent for sure of my grandmother, of my mom. 
Um, I don't really like to base any of my characters directly on someone in my life, but they certainly the women in my life informed the women in my story, particularly Nellie in the 50s. And then also they there are two um, female relationships. So Nellie and Alice both have a close female relationship with a neighbor who is significantly older than them. And they become like a mother figure to, to these two women to deliver some wisdom and advice and, and support. Um, and those were great characters to write. And I definitely drew on the relationship I had with my grandmother um, and with my mom. So, you know, I, I, I don't put a lot of myself in the books, or I, I think I don't, but then if I go back and look, you know, you do, you're always mining your own experiences and, um, you know, how your, your own perspectives for the story. So, yeah. And then the, the other question I have here is about, uh, how you stated at the beginning, how you enjoy writing about the nuances within marriage and relationships and just wanted to know if you could expand a bit on some of your favorite aspects of these relations, particularly in fiction, not necessarily real life, but what really is great to write about in fiction? Yeah, well, I, I think I, I am happily married, have been married for years and I have what I would consider to be a really great relationship. So it's not like I'm trying to work out my own personal details while I'm writing these characters in these books. But however, I do find the dynamics between men and women sharing a life, uh, sharing children, sharing the balance of ambition. If you have both parties who want to, you know, have a greater career than the one they have, and how does everybody sort of get what they want without really uh, cracking the foundation that exists between them? And so I, I just... I'm just drawn to that idea and through all my different books and all my different characters um, with those, those husband, wife or boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, I like to look at that dynamic. And um, I like to read that as well. When I'm, when I'm looking, I'm picking up books that I want to um, just read for my own pleasure. Those are the stories that always get me. If you've got like a strong book about marriage and secrets and like how it's all going to unfold then i'm in for <laughs> sure every time oh and then what i see here is another question that uh, how do you design the clever cover of your book oh i wish i could take credit for the cover <laughs> uh but it's designed by the, my wonderful publisher and um yes oh she's holding it up there that's the canadian version okay. uh, which i think they just did such an excellent job with this cover and the u.s version is actually quite similar it has a red cover similar uh picture with a housewife on the front but if you look closely at this cover you'll see a few little details like the the skull and crossbones over the eye of the wife and uh you know, there's a lot of tension in that woman's hand when she's holding that, <laughs> that kitchen appliance. But yeah, it goes through a very complex and complicated process within the publishing house where they look at what uh, other books are selling, like in this genre, what the covers are like, what they feel will stand out on the shelf. Um, it really depends on what the retailers like as well. So they have a say in the cover. And then, of course, me. 
And uh, as soon as they sent it, I was like, you know, this is a this is exactly what I imagined. So I was very happy. It is a nice cover. It really does capture the yeah. book very, very well. So, yes. Uh, well, I think that's about it. We we have time for. I know, Karma, you're an early riser, and we need to we need to make sure that we we get to get out of here in time for you to still have some sleep tonight. And so, Jen, I'll start with you. Thank you so much for joining us. And those muffins look delicious. I wish I was there to share. <laughs> share muffins and a glass of wine with you but uh... it's a it's a classic okanagan dinner what can i say i also just want to uh, relay a message from um eliza reed from iceland who is actually a canadian her um her brother you know her brother who's an author as well and she saw my post on facebook that we were going to be talking and chatting and making muffins and she said well tell her i love the novel so um that's my day made a hundred percent. Yes. That's exactly. so a Canadian woman who finds herself as the first lady of Iceland, who's also a huge literary fan. They, they, you know, she runs a, a literary workshop there, a literature workshop and Reykjavik being a UNESCO city of, of world literature. Yeah. Um, so she sends her regards. She's well, asleep is, right now. What? <laughs> She's asleep right now. Yeah. Of course. But she sends her regards. Please thank her for that because that is just so nice to hear. I really yeah, appreciate it. A fellow it. Canadian um, up up in Reykjavik. So yes. um, thank you, Peter. This has been a lot of fun. Yes, thank you, Peter. Yes, and, Jay, and, and Karma, thank you for inviting us into your kitchen for baking <laughs> and for a wonderful book. It's been an absolute delight to have you on, on our show tonight. So. Thank you. Thanks. I really appreciate it as well. It was a nice way to spend my evening. And this Before is a great I... book to curl up with um, as we go into the reading season. And uh, we can all support our local independent booksellers by and our local authors, our Canadian authors, by buying local literature. There yes. Uh, so... Thank you. Thanks, everyone. And I hope I'm going to eat this muffin now, even though it's yeah. PM for me. <laughs> I think it's time for a muffin and maybe a bourbon before it's that. It's midnight buffet, right? That sounds <laughs> that sounds wonderful. So good night <laughs> to you both. And as as my work has already been done here, remind you again, please visit the links down at the bottom of the comments and buy the books online at uh, Glass Books and Audrey's Books. And thank you yet again to our technical team here who makes the magic happen for you all. And please do visit Starfest online at www.starfest.ca. Take a look at who's coming up next. Watch some of the past live shows if you've got a moment or two to spare. And please register for the shows. We'd love to have you back. And from me, good night and thank you for joining us.